tonight, our topic tonight is um, going to be sanctification. And uh, just to remind us again about the golden chain, I'm going to go back and read uh, Romans 8, verses uh, 28 through 30, which is really in 29 and 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He, and these whom he predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, so um, there's the golden chain right there in verse 29. Those whom he, uh, or actually, uh, yeah, verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And then verse 30, these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. These whom he Justified, he also glorified. So there's the golden chain, foreknew, predestined, called, and justified, and glorified. So those are the links in the, in the chain. There's one missing there, the one we're going to talk about tonight. But it's, it's there, it's just, it's just um, placed differently. It's back in verse uh, 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be conformed. So those whom he foreknew, he predestined or predetermined, um, marked out before time to be conformed to the image of his son. That process is what we are usually talking about when we use the word sanctification. The, the term sanctification can be used in a couple, couple of different ways. Um, which I'll try to try to show you as we look at the scripture. But but uh, generally speaking, when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about this process of being conformed to the to the uh, to the image of Christ. I mean, that is a great way. That that little phrase right there is a great way of uh, describing what sanctification is all about. Um, the root uh, of the of the word is just is the idea of holy or holiness, to be made holy. Now, I said it could be used a couple of different ways. Sometimes, uh, and in fact, oftentimes in the Scripture, um, I just want to say this carefully because I don't want to be confusing um, because I just explained that it was a process, the sanctification, the, the way we're talking about it tonight, sanctification is a process. But uh, sometimes the way the term is used in the, in the New Testament, Old and New Testament, it is referring to a, 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 an act of God um, setting us apart. We are sanctified, so that's like a, um, initially in our, in, in our Christian life, God has sanctified us, That meaning set us apart for His own use, for His own glory. But I think even embedded in that, even when you, when you look at the, at the instances where it's used that way, it still carries the idea, in, in other words, part of his setting us apart to himself is, is what will, the ongoing process that will take place in our life 
in which we are conformed to the image of Christ. So, so uh, sometimes you, you see the word in the scripture and it looks like it's, a, it's talking about a, a done deal, something done in the past. Other times it's looking like it's talking about a process, but, but the, I, I wouldn't want to make too much of a distinction between the two. The two are, are, are really one, but it is um, used with those different nuances at different times. So I'm, I'm going to just go through a few passages here, and we'll just kind of consider that as we go. But um, let me, uh, before we do that, let me just do a brief recap of what we've already talked about concerning salvation uh, in the past few weeks. Um, election, for example. We talked a few weeks ago about the doctrine of election. What is What is election? Well, that's God choosing us, right? In fact, it's, it's a way of referring to the fact that God chose us. In Ephesians 1, Paul says God chose us before the foundation of the world. So that is um, something that you and I had nothing to do with, <laughs> to done totally a, apart from us, uh, you know, without uh, any consultation with us. I mean, God didn't, you know, sit down with us and discuss it with us. He, he did that before we were... Um, ever born, in fact, before the world was formed, Paul says. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about the doctrine of election, God choosing us. Um, the, the call, the gospel call is another thing. We I'm going to call it the gospel call here. I think we used a little different terminology a couple weeks ago, but... Um, but uh, those whom he chose before the foundation of the world, we could say before time, and a lot of times the way people refer to it is, is I'm, I don't know that this is technically correct, but, it's, but when you're speaking of eternity, it's hard to come up with technically correct <laughs> ways of talking about it, you know, because it's just uh, our language is limited and, and uh, our, our understanding is limited, so we do the best we can. But a lot of times the phrase we use is eternity past when we're talking about um, something that went on before creation. So somewhere back there in eternity past, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, God chose us. Now, those whom he chose in eternity past, or we, we could say before time um, as we know it, he calls to himself at some point in time. All right? Now, that's what is being referred to here. And, and again, I'm looking at Romans 8. That's what's being referred to here in verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, and when we talked about that, you know, I, I pointed out that it's that's stronger than just, doesn't just mean he was aware of us. It's, it's the idea of choosing or, or setting his love on us. It's the idea of intimate relationship. So those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he marked us out, as he made some decisions about us, what, what, what he's going to do with us, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then, again, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. So the, the foreknowledge and the predestination takes place back there in eternity past, before time and space as we know it, but the calling takes place in time and space. At some point in our lives, um, God calls us to Himself. 
And again, we, we talked about that a few weeks ago and looked at different um, passages that kind of illustrate that. Uh, for example, we talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead as a, what, what, I, what I think of as a living illustration of, of what, uh, what happens when God calls someone to himself. So um, it's kind of like, in fact, Lord willing, we'll be looking at a, an example of that this Sunday in Acts chapter 9. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is just going down the road doing his business, um, you know, seeking Christians to uh, harass <laughs> and, and haul off to, to be punished. And Jesus just intervenes, what I like to call a, a grace invasion. I mean, he just, he just arrests Saul of Tarsus. He stops him in his tracks. And he says, now I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And uh, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. <laughs> I mean, you're going to go to the city and, uh, and, and, and Damascus, and, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do and how, how many things you must suffer for my sake. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, it's not like they, they sat down and had a powwow and all that kind of thing. Je Jesus just called him to himself right there and said, here, you, you are a chose, he told Ananias, he's a chosen vessel unto me to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to the children of Israel. So uh, that's the calling. Some, somewhere back there in eternity past, God foreknew and predestined Saul of Tarsus, and then in time, in his, at, at some point in, in um, his lifetime, God called him out of darkness into the kingdom of light, um, out of sin, unto salvation, and made him his own. He regenerated him, like we've been talking about, uh, like we talked about last uh, uh, couple weeks ago, and uh, that is imparted new life to him, justified him, converted him. So now he's he's a new creature in Christ. That's the calling. He's called to faith in Jesus Christ, and that happened to all of us. Everybody that's saved, not, not exactly like that. I mean, you know. You probably weren't riding on a donkey when God called you, um, but uh, on your way to Damascus to persecute Christians. But, and, and there probably wasn't a light brighter than the noonday sun that, that, uh, that hit you either, but your calling was just as real, out of darkness into light, uh, from separation from God to fellowship with God. So that's the calling, the gospel call. The, the, um, the effective calling. All right, so election, the call, calling, regeneration. Regeneration is where God um, imparts life to us. And by the way, notice so far all of these things are, are just things that, that God does. I mean, God, God elects us. God calls us to himself. God regenerates us. He gives us life. These, these are not things that, that we have a hand in. They're not... They're not Things that we're capable of having a hand in. And we can't do anything to um, make these things happen or, uh, you know, or help in any way. These are, these are totally works, sovereign works of God. So he, he elects us. He cho chooses us to himself. He calls us um, out of the world into a relationship with himself. He regenerates us. That is, he, he gives us life, imparts life to us. And then conversion. We talked about uh, conversion, and that, that is um, 
basically our response to the call. So if I could just use, again, just use Lazarus as a, uh, just as an illustration. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is when Lazarus was saved or something like that, but, but I want to use Lazarus' physical resurrection as an illustration. The calling, of course, would be when Jesus spoke and said, Lazarus, come forth. And there you've got a dead man that Jesus is speaking to who otherwise is incapable of, uh, you know, getting up and coming out of the tomb. I mean, he's dead on, on his own. He has no ability to do that. But when Jesus issues the call, it is a, it, it is a, call, a, a call with power. So when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, at the, at the same time, simultaneously, Jesus is imparting the power for him to respond to the call. He commands come forth, and he empowers him to come forth. And so what does Lazarus do? Well, he gets up and he comes out of the, out of the tomb in obedience to Jesus' command. There's a great picture of conversion. So when God calls us out of the world, he imparts life to us. Now you are able to obey because you have, you have life, right? right. And so at that point, you respond. You, you respond in obedience. And, I might add, willingly. At, at that point, you're willing. He has made you willing. So, so when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, um, yes, he got up willingly and came out of the tomb. Um, because he's alive now. He's no longer dead. And, and if you think about that spiritually in application to our salvation, at that point you're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. Now you have life uh, imparted from God, spiritual life. And so you are able to respond in obedience to Christ. In fact, you most definitely will because that's life. That's what life is. Um, so if you're alive, you will respond positively. Um, to Christ. That's what it means to have life. So God, when God makes us alive, He is making us willing. And so we, we cannot, uh, and that's why I say it's, an, I say this is the way it's tr been traditionally said, that's why it's called effectual calling or effective calling. Because when God calls us, it is always effective. You know, it, it never, you know, it, it never misses. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's always effective. So, but yeah, very good, very good questions. But yeah, it's just, just um, um, part of his imparting life is making us willing and obedient. And so we respond. And this is, and this is conversion coming out of the tomb. Um, that is, in fact, let me, let me describe, um, as we did a couple, uh, couple weeks ago, conversion this way. It's turning from sin and turning to Christ. All right, so it's kind of, you, you can kind of think of it like a two-sided coin, turning, turning away from sin and turning to Christ. The turning away from sin is repentance. The turning to God or turning to Christ is faith. So there's the two sides, repentance and faith. Now that's conversion, two, two aspects of conversion, repentance and faith. You're turning from sin in repentance and you're turning to God in, in faith, all right? So um, if you think, again, just using Lazarus as a picture, kind of a living illustration, 
the, the fact that he's leaving the tomb, in other words, he gets up and comes out of the tomb, that's a, there's a great picture of repentance. He's walking out of that, that death chamber. <laughs> you know, live people don't, don't like to be in a tomb. There's been a radical change take place. So his leaving the tomb is a, is a great picture of repentance. And, of course, what's he doing when he's leaving the tomb? It's, he's coming at the same time. He's coming to Jesus. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So he's leaving the tomb and coming to Jesus. And there's a great picture of faith. He's coming in willing obedience to Christ's call. And that is faith. So conversion is uh, repentance and faith. And um, it is our response to the call. All right, so justification, which we talked about uh, last week, is God's response, you might say, to our faith, all right? God, God grants life, which includes faith, and then He declares us justified based on our faith, or in response to our faith, based upon of course, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But just like Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, uh, it, is, it is the same with us. And so when, when we respond, when we come to Christ in faith, we are um, declared just. That is, not guilty. Our sin, our, well, it's, again, there's two aspects. Our, our sin is taken away, right? We're, we're declared not guilty. But it's replaced with something. I mean, we're, not, we're not neutral at that point. Our sin is replaced with something. It's replaced with the righteousness of Christ. So our sin is gone. You know, we had somebody here, a uh, visitor here last week that used to, a lot, a lot of times this is how people describe justification, just as if I've, just as if I'd never sinned. They, you know, they use that to help them remember the word, which is good. It's, it's just not full enough. It just doesn't go far enough. Because there's a little bit more to, in fact, a lot more to justification. Not only is it uh, a declaration, you know, not guilty, so just as if I'd never sinned, but it's also an imputation of the righteousness of Christ. That is, our sins are taken away because they're put to Jesus' account, and Jesus' righteousness is put to our account. So... When in being declared just or justified, um, we now have the righteousness of Christ put to our account. That is imputed to us. So um, that's what puts us in right standing with God, the righteousness of Christ. All right. And then one we haven't really talked about, I'm just going to mention it here. We, we did and we didn't. We, I mean, we just touched on it, but I, and I'm just going to touch on it again here. But that is adoption. We're, we're elected, we're called, we're regenerated, we're converted, we're justified, and then adopted into the family of God. When, when, we're, when we are regenerated, <coughs> we are now members of God's own family. And that's where he was headed with us all along. When I, you know, I said earlier, the term foreknew speaks of, of intimate knowledge. Um, he, in other words, before the foundation of the world, he loved us. I think that's what Paul is meaning by 
he foreknew, or Peter, you know, says, um, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He loved us before, back there in eternity past. And those whom he loved, he, he marked out for his purpose, predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called at some point in time in your life. And then those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And then, of course, in between there, you've got the whole process of being conformed to the image of Christ, which we call sanctification. So, um, election, the calling, regeneration, justification, those are all things that, um, in adoption, those are all things that we have no role in totally a work of God. Conversion, a little different because um, we do have a role there. It's just like, again, pictured with Lazarus. Jesus says, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. So there, there's, a, there's a role. There's something that happens with us there. But these other things are, are, are totally, um, totally um, just God either, either declaring something about us or or, or something in our behalf, you know, doing like choosing us or calling us, regenerating us, which, of course, regeneration is a work uh, not only about us, but on us, as in us, something he's doing in, that he did in us. And then, uh, and then we come to sanctification, and sanctification is, is another one where we have a role. Now, let me say this, too. All, all the ones that I mentioned just previously, election, calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption. All of those um, all of those events occur at the beginning of our Christian lives or, or, or beyond, you know, before. They, 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 they initiated or they were at the beginning of our Christian lives. But sanctification starts at the beginning, but then it goes, it's a process that goes on and on and on as long as we're alive in this world. So that's, a, that's another di a distinction, you know, we want to make between, for example, between sanctification and justification or sanctification and regeneration. Now, it starts with regeneration, but it's a, it's a process, again, that will continue. If, if we live five minutes, um, that's, that's our period of <laughs> sanctification. If we live 90 years knowing the Lord, we will be in the process of being sanctified that whole period until we leave this world because it will never be complete uh, as long as we're in this world. In other words, when, when sin is removed, we're, we are, we're made holy in a complete sense. There, you know, John says, um, we don't know what we're going to be like. It doesn't yet appear what, what we shall be like. But we know this, when he appears, we shall be like him. That's complete. <laughs> That's completion. Not that, and, and you, you know, you make a good point, because it's not that we know everything or something like that. We won't know everything, and we will spend eternity learning about God, uh, because God is infinite, and we're finite. But, um, but we'll be complete in the sense that sin is removed from our experience, and, and the, the possibility. Here, there's glorification. Sin is removed from our experience, and the possibility of sin is removed from our experience. 
I think that's what the Scripture teaches. Um, all right, so let me come back just a, a little bit to sanctification. and, and Well, let me, let me do this, too. I want to just a, quickly a few distinctions here between what we talked about last week, justification, and sanctification. One, um, justification is... is um, refers to legal standing, like, like uh, I said a moment ago. It's a declaration about us. God declares us just, not guilty. So it's, it's a legal standing before God. Sanctification, on the other hand, is an internal condition. Not, it's not ju- it's, justification is done totally apart from us. Sanctification is a work God is doing on us or in us. It has to do with our internal condition. He's literally changing us from the inside out. And you see this, you know, as you, as you move through the Christian life and you, and you start thinking differently about things, you know, the more and more exposure you get to the, to the, to the Word of God and by the power of the Spirit of God working on you and bringing, bringing the Word of God uh, um, Make, or I should start to say, making it alive to you. Really, he makes us alive to it. As, as, as we're, we get more and more of the Word in us and God makes us alive to it, gives us understanding, you know, our, our thinking changes. Our attitudes change. Our desires change. And so our deeds, our works, our conduct corresponds to that. We, we learn and we grow and, and we mature spiritually. So that's, that's taking place on the inside of us and working from the inside out. Justification is a one-time act. It's, it is once for all. God declares us just. And then we can say like Paul does in Romans 8, that if God justifies, who is he that condemns? Nobody. I mean, it, it can't happen. Justification is a one, one-time act. I think I'll have to grab a mic over here. My ba- I hear my battery dying. Um, justification is a one-time act, once and for all, and sanctification is an ongoing process. Like I said, it lasts our whole, whole lifetime. And, you know, uh, be encouraged by that because sometimes... <clears throat> Sometimes we look at ourselves and, and uh, we think, my goodness, uh, why am I still struggling with this or that? I should have been past that a long time ago. Well, uh, and, you know, sometimes that may be a right assessment. But, but you know, we get, we get really impatient. And uh, the thing is, it is a, it's a process. And it's not immediate. So, so sanctification is a, a, a lifetime process, continuous throughout life. Um, justification, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, is entirely God's work. In sanctification, we have a role. Again, it comes back to obedience. We, we have to do um, the works of repentance, for example. We have to live it. Or as Paul says in Ephesians uh, 2.10, you know, the... Um, we are, we, we are um, 
saved to do good works, okay? So, so there's, there's obedience. Jesus, remember the, the Great Commission we've been talking about for weeks now. Jesus says, um, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So there's, there's the cooperation. There's the role that we, that we play. It's obedience. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why, Paul? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, so um, in sanctification, we have a role. That is, obey Christ. Obey Christ. Obey the word. Um, justification, perfect in this life. That may surprise you there. You think of it that way, <laughs> but, but but there's there's no there's no with justification. There's no process. At 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 regeneration, when we were regenerated and granted faith, and conversion takes place, God declares us justified. And from that point on, again, if you live five minutes or if you live, uh, you know, a hundred years as a Christian, from that point on, you're justified. I mean, you don't, you don't grow in justification. You're, you're just as, it's even hard to say, you know, because don't say it three times fast. You're just as justified the moment of regeneration as you are 90 years later. Justified, justification rather, is perfect in this life. Um, Sanctification is not. That's that's an ongoing process and we grow and mature um, as we are being made holy. Uh, Again, meaning being conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more and more like Christ. You, You learn and you grow as a Christian you become more and more like Christ. That's a process. And it, and it never comes, in this life, it never comes to perfection. So, if, you know, if one of y'all come in one day and you say, I've arrived, I'm now perfect. We're, we're going we're gonna to have a prayer service right there, all right? <laughs> we're going to intercede for you. And if I do that, that's just what you need to do for me. <laughs> say, we're going to pray for you, brother. <laughs> Because we never achieve perfection in this life. All right. Um, another um, difference in the two. Justification is the same in all Christians. In other words, in other words, they're, they're you know they're, they're not different levels, stages, whatever. It's the same in all Christians. You're you're declared just based upon the atoning work of Christ. Your sins are put to Christ's account. Christ's righteousness is put to your account. That's true of every believer. And that is justification. So justification is the same in all Christians. But sanctification is greater in some than in others. And you have people at different, at different levels of, of maturity, different stages and so forth. So, so that will change as you, like I say, you, you might be a Christian Five minutes before you die, you might be a Christian 90 years. Well, th- that will have a bearing on your sanctification. I mean, because you, you've got to have time to 
to learn and grow. And so everybody is um, pretty much at different stages, different levels of maturity and so forth when it comes to sanctification. Okay, let me give you some passages here uh, before we <clears throat> run out of time. Of course, one of them we just looked at, Romans, because, again, that's a great description. Um, conform to the image of Christ. Here's one that comes to mind a lot, and this is uh, uh, actually using the term sanctify, the verb form. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. Um, Let's see. I'll give you a couple here from Thessalonians, but <clears throat> that's that's one. And notice there the... Um, Again, it implies a process. May the, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Now, there's, there's the idea, part of the idea behind sanctification. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. Of course, at that point, as I said earlier, at that point, it, it's, it's complete. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, let's go back to that. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is <clears throat> a great passage. This is, this is the next time that um, you're thinking, I wonder what God's will for my life is. Here's a good passage to go to, okay? <laughs> for this is the will of God, <clears throat> your sanctification. In fact, let me back up to verse 1. Let's, 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Let's kind of get it in context here. <clears throat> a couple things uh, to think about. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you ex excel still more. So there, there again, there's a great description. Paul says, we've given you instruction... You received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God. Now, Paul likes to use walk or walking um, as a metaphor for conduct. You know, anytime, anytime you see that, and he uses it, I don't know, it's a ton, tons of times in, in, the, in the New Testament. You run across that a lot. You know, walk in the Spirit, walk in love, so forth. He's, he's meaning conduct yourself. And he uses the metaphor of walking, you know, picture somebody walking around, you know, doing this. Kind of like Jesus when he gives the Great Commission. As you're going, make disciples. So as you're conducting yourself, as you're going about your business, and that's the picture here. Paul says, you've received from us instruction as to how you ought to conduct yourself, is the idea, and please God. Now that's, that's sanctification. It's living a life of, of um, conducting yourself in a manner with the goal of pleasing God. And in fact, here with the Thessalonians, Paul says, just as you actually do walk, 
In other words, this is how you're conducting yourself. Yet, he says, um, excel still more. We want you to do this more and more. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And here it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let me stop right there for just a second. What a powerful statement that is. This is the will of God for you Thessalonians. Or we can bring it to us. This is the will of God for you, church, at Fillmore. Your sanctification. That is, for you to be made holy. For you to walk, conduct yourself in a manner so that you are seeking to please God. Walk um, and please God. And then he gives uh, an example here that was, is obviously um, uh, you know, specific to their situation, but it, it is also extremely relevant to ours uh, in our day. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Wow, what a thing to point out when talking about sanctification. In fact, he goes on to say that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying, so here's an example of, of the sanctification that God wills for you. Stay away abstain from sexual immorality. And just do that as opposed to the Gentiles who are given to lustful passion. Now, if you watch or listen to the news at all or talk to people at all, you don't even have to watch or listen to the news, you know that um, things haven't changed a whole lot. This is still one of the, 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 the big struggles today. And it comes in, in the form... For example, of pornography or, you know, homosexuality, um, infidelity in marriage, premarital sex. And what Paul is saying is that's not God's will for you. You know, viewing pornography is not God's will for you. Turn that stuff off. God's will for you is your sanctification. Homosexuality, not God's will. That, that is contrary to sanctification. Um, sex in any form outside of the bounds of marriage is contrary to the sanctification process. And I'm, I'm stressing that because I want you to see how practical Paul makes it. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about sanctification. It's not talking about position. We're not talking about right standing before God. That's justification. When we talk about sanctification, we're talking about living out our justification in this world. Again, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God's at work in you. There's hope. (laughs) There's power. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. That is, God gives the desires and the ability to do. That's 
the Holy Spirit, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit that Pam's talking about there. So that's why Paul can, can say to these, these uh, I almost said Corinthians, they have very, very similar problems in Corinth, but, but here's the Thessalonians. That's why Paul can say these things to the Thessalonians because, again, it's the same thing. If, if you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, therefore, do this. Do this, or in this case, don't do this. You know, abstain from sexual immorality and possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles. All right, so it's, it's, sanctification is very, very practical. Um, when we're faced with decisions every day. I mean, it could, be, it could be something, you know, like that, like Paul's talking about here, sexual immorality, or it could be something as simple as, um, still sinful, but as, as simple as uh, just, just a wrong response to my, to my wife, right? Like we were talking about last night, as a matter of fact, in, in, our, in our study, things like that. So, so if I, you know, say something uh, ugly or whatever, that's still, you know, that's part of the sanctification process. That, those are the kinds of things we want to eliminate by the power of God, by the grace of God. Put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in the Spirit. Okay. Um, yeah, I like that passage because, like I say, a lot of times we're so, or at least I am, and you think, well, what's, what is God's will? Is God, God's will for me to do this or is God's will for me to do that? Here's, here's God's will that we be more Christ-like. What, whatever situation we're in, be more Christ-like. We want to grow in sanctification. All right, I'm going to give you one more here. John 17, 17. Love this one, too. <clears throat> John 17. This is a, what's often called the high priestly prayer. You know, this is Jesus praying um, for us, praying for the disciples with him and us as well, um, right before he's crucified. And he prays uh, as, as part of this prayer, verse 17. He, Jesus prays to the Father for us. He says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So here's the, here's the primary means of sanctification right here. In other words, this is how God changes us, his, his word. So when we think about things like avoiding um, sexual temptation, like Paul was just talking about, or avoiding saying something wrong to my wife or, or uh, you know, whatever it is, avoiding uh, being lazy on the job or whatever the sin is. When we think about those things, how am I going to get my, my thinking right in order to do right? And that is required, by the way. I mean, it doesn't come automatically. In, in order to do right, we've got to be thinking right. But how, how am I going to get my thinking right in order to do right? And this is it. And that's what Jesus prays for for us. Sanctify them. Father, sanctify them by your truth. What's he talking about? His word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sometimes it's just, it's just you know, it's astounding sometimes how much is that verse. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. 
That, that verse is nine words. It's just astounding, you know, how, how prof, what a profound truth in nine words. That's the primary means of our sanctification, the Word of God. Any other um, comments or anything before we have to dismiss? <laughs> All right. You're dismissed. All right. We'll see you next week. Uh, <laughs> Every single one of them? I would say no. No. Right. No. Only, only, only those who come to faith in Christ, and, and I know why you're asking that, because in, in Romans 11, Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. But there, there is a lot of... Um, well, there, there, there are different ways of a couple of different ways of at least a couple of different ways of interpreting interpreting that. But if if even if he does mean um, that all the Jews are going to are going going to be saved, which you know you just take it on its face, the surface, that's what it sounds like he's saying. Uh, but it would still be, um, you know, I mean, he's looking forward to a particular time. So those in that time. Um, let's say, um, as some interpret it, that God grants like an end-time revival where, 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 generally speaking, all the Jews come to Christ. But not all Jews from all ages because, uh, I mean, certain, that certainly doesn't appear to be the case because we know of some in Scripture that weren't saved, you know. Um, so, but, but definitely all those, those who come to Christ, come to faith in Christ, you know, like my wife. Um, she's a, uh, you know, I say, you know, she's a Jew inwardly and outwardly. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, any, they're saved the same way that you and I are. Any, any that come to faith, come to God through Jesus Christ, through faith in the atoning work of Christ, are saved. Yeah. But it may be, and, and some people think that's what Paul's talking about there. Like, like right now, we could say, generally speaking, this is the way it's been for 2,000 years. Generally speaking, the Jews reject Christ. You've got ex- exceptions, of course, you know. Um, the whole the whole church in the very beginning was Jewish, you know. You go to the Book of Acts, but but uh, of course over time it becomes predominantly Gentile. So for two thousand years now, generally speaking, it's correct to say the Jews have rejected Christ. Maybe there's coming a time where that turns around, and generally speaking, the Jews are saved. And that's what some people think Paul is saying there. So. But even if that's the case, like I say, it, it would be through faith in Jesus Christ, just like we've been talking about here. You know, it doesn't seem to be any other way. You know, Peter, the apostles are pretty clear on that. There's one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, and that, of course, is Jesus. He's the only propitiation for our sins. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll dismiss. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, use it, just as we've been talking about here, to make us holy, to purge us, to cleanse us, to increase our desire to be like Jesus and to increasingly make us like Jesus. May it all be for your praise, your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.